Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 221 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, uh, we're kind of taking it back old school. Uh, this episode, we're talking about two main things, so one segment in the uh, tech part, then one segment in the paranormal part, but really maybe t- two segments in the paranormal section. We'll discuss that when we get there, but we're going long this week, my friend. I hope you had a beverage that you are sitting down, that you are hydrated and ready. I have my water next to me, so I think that that'll be enough. I see you taking a sip from your water. I went into the show notes. The last time I checked uh, this morning, they were a page, a page and a half. I was expecting to see a little bit more than that when I went in. And when I looked, they ballooned into nine pages. This is by far the longest show notes I've ever had. This is by far one, yeah, one of the lengthy ones. Like We haven't done one like this in a, in a long time. Yes, that is correct. And it's just two real topics. That's true, yeah. But one, you're you're really intent. I mean, it's based on an almost two-hour video that we watched this week. So it's true, yes. So it won't be two hours, though. But it will, no, it'll be at least half that, if not a quarter of that. Okay. So let's get into it. So I asked you to watch a video by the YouTube channel Folding Ideas, who does very long video essays. So this particular one is entitled "The Future Is a Dead Mall: Decentraland and the Metaverse." And I thought you and I could talk about. You know, all of these things, the metaverse, Decentraland, the idea of the future, of the past, of the self. So um, I'm kind of curious, like, how did you, first impressions when watching it, how did you feel? Well, the first, I think, 15 minutes, it felt really dystopian to me because this is something that keeps coming along every few years where the future is here and we're ready for it and it flops. The thing I thought of the most, because it is essentially a video game, right? Twitch streamers are on there and stuff. Am I am I off base so, to kind of call it a video game? It's very difficult to categorize because it kind of is. So a, a lot of people will hop on with their um, Decentraland persona, right, into this metaverse and try to um, LARP, I guess would be the best way of, of putting it, okay. um, a, in order to create content. But then they'll, yeah, they'll also have a camera on themselves uh, on a Twitch stream, for example, right? It falls into the tech basket of over-promising and under-delivering by leaps and bounds in this case. And when I was watching it, it really reminded me of PlayStation Home. If no one remembers what that is, I wouldn't fault you, but it was Sony's answer to kind of getting player avatars doing stuff Mm -hmm. on on the PlayStation Network. And it flopped and flopped hard. It was pretty terrible. I'm going to put a link to the Wikipedia article of it just so you kind of look at what it is and then you'll say, oh, yeah, I remember how terrible that was because that's how most people remember PlayStation. It kind of reminds me of the, the Miiverse, too, a little bit, a little tiny bit. Well, I think that's what they were trying to play off of because they saw the success. Well, success. I mean, Nintendo had some success with the Miis on the Wii, sort of. Yeah. I had a Mii. Did you have a Mii? I did, but at that point, I was playing very little yeah. video games there at I that never, yeah. period of time. I never really got into the, the Wii. I had a Wii U, and that's it. But anyway... The family had a Wii, and I only played... I only bought games for the like the retro console okay. the virtual store, from the virtual store. So but, all, a bunch of the NES stuff I didn't have access to, because I didn't have an NES. I only started with the Super Nintendo. But th- this really reminded me of that. And just as I... I, I didn't watch this all in one sitting, because it was like the length of a feature-length movie. I watched it in a few parts, and like I said, the first bit of it, I even texted you saying, this is really dystopian feeling. That is correct. It falls into the, like, 
the people that created it are basically tech bros that sort of wanted to make money off Bitcoin. Am I am I off base there? No. So okay. So I let's move into talking about the. I'm just sighing heavily because I know what it's about to come. Let's talk about Decentraland. Let's talk about the metaverse. Angel, can you define the metaverse for me? Not really yet, because in my mind, it's it's sort of an abstract idea of people having these big ideas for how we're going to interact moving forward, and they never come to fruition because it's always just a technical mess, and nobody really wants to stick to right. it. So let, okay, so then let's take a step back and then try to discuss like the alpha version of what the metaverse is, right? So it's just a bunch of people using graphical representation of themselves as avatars in order to interact with a fully virtual world, right? The, the, I guess that'd be the the best basic way of describing what the metaverse is yeah the yahoo chat groups of the 21st century <laughs> the habit hotels really the club penguins club penguin and habit hotel are no different than the metaverse my friend i mean in, in idea i guess not no not right now anyways right um so i think there's like a big problem right because like it's also primitive and stuff i feel like the rush to monetize on this new platform is like truly like what it's done in. If you watch the folding ideas video, he shows you what the lint store looks like. He shows you what the Hershey experience looks like. It's just Hershey's, it's awful and boring. It, it's Hershey's India though. And Philippines. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that that's the other odd thing about it is that there's, it's like a ramshackle connection of businesses that don't necessarily have anything to do with anything. And every, that is correct. And he would intersperse his commentary with, I guess people giving a sort of explanation of what this is, and it all came off sounding like first-year college business proposals in business school. Yeah, because everyone's clamoring for money in order to create content and produce things. Um, so when we talk about Decentraland, it's basically like the biggest um, metaverse space that's like open to everyone because there's also like the Facebook one, right, that you know that exists. Um, so I think that we're going to talk about Decentraland as like a, a sort of like avatar for the concept of what a metaverse is. So basically it's like Second Life. It's like you're playing The Sims essentially. I feel like you the kind of using it as an avatar is its own sort of inception there because you create an avatar inside of Decentraland and now you're using Decentraland itself as an avatar. For, yeah, exactly. To talk about the metaverse. A metaverse right? within a metaverse within a metaverse. Yeah. Uh, so the number of active users daily on, you know, Decentraland in particular is not publicly known and different metrics have been used. So some reporters have been saying there's like anywhere from like dozens to hundreds to uh, Decentraland will say like thousands of daily active users. So I'm not quite sure who to believe there. I'd probably imagine it's lower, not higher. I would say uh, dozens. Yeah, I'd probably aim to dozens, if not a couple of hundred, but probably maxed out. Um, so like the concept of the metaverse though, like some people like love to argue that like quote unquote, like true capitalism rewards innovation. But in this case, it feels like people just rushed into the space in order to figure out how to monetize an experience without actually like making anything better for that experience. Right. Because you can actually buy real estate in central land. You could spend currency USD in order to buy a plot of land. And, uh, a while back, a bunch of people decided to get in on it speculating that it would rise in value, my friend. And guess what? It has not. Just like everything with the blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto, people are wildly overestimating how much it'll be worth and not really looking at the big picture and thinking, will this actually work? And they just rush in because everybody else is rushing in. So we got to rush in too to make sure we have our spot, our actual real estate in this. And that's what it feels like they did. My my favorite anecdote was, was it J.P. Morgan? Yes. 
where there's an odd tiger just roaming around their space? Yeah. It made no yes. sense. None of this made any real sense. It's all just broken. <laughs> it's a really good way of putting it. Come back to the idea of a rush. I was thinking about a gold rush, right? I think people, like you were saying, like people, so there's this mixture of like first year college or university, like philosophy, and then a mixture of like first year business students, like you were saying, um, where a bunch of like teams and other individuals think that if they stick around, they're going to hit it big in decentralizing in the metaverse, but without truly understanding how to like improve the underlying experience too. And, and like you were saying before, like crypto and blockchain, I was also thinking about NFTs, right? You know, digital pieces of art that were bought, but like there's no use case for it, even if you can, and you can bring them into Decentraland, right? Um, you know, in some cases, people who will buy things like NFTs will end up with like a physical product. I was thinking about French Montana, right? The rapper who had an NFT um, collection and then you could actually buy a piece and get like a, a pair of shoes with it that were limited to that, which is cool and interesting. But at the end of the day, like, you know, one of one only matters if there's a really like a market for it, if anyone gives a shit, right? So like I'm on the one hand, like I'm really happy that digital artists can make a ton of money off that. But this seems like it's all a folly, like this entire digital push of the last two years it seemed like this weird fever dream that exists only to point out how stupid the internet can be well it has to do with the fact that for a majority of the last few years people have been stuck indoors more often than not and more so than previous times where they couldn't really gather in public spaces for i would what at least a year people couldn't gather in public spaces right if not a little longer and on and off and this was, I guess, the opportune time to create a service like this. Unfortunately, it's sort of, well, not even sort of, it, it falls flat. Everybody kind of falling over themselves to make NFTs, not even realizing what an NFT is. The what, What's the host's name? Do we know? Do I, I don't remember his name. Do you know his Dan? name? Dan? Okay. Well, he talked about how there were pitches for you to buy something in Decentraland and then also get a physical good. And what, what yeah. did they call it? F- fidgetal? Was that the yeah, word? Fidgetal, they used? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is not a good word to say. Just say it a few times. <laughs> it it weird, sounds yeah. wrong. I mean, it's all, it's all brand buzzwords, right? Probably one of the things I, I really despise the most in the world is brand buzz and fake excitement over things. For example, when the – I don't remember – was it somebody on Twitch? I can't remember who it was, but it was a guy going through it and talking about how, look, the world revolves around you and it's just like the universe. You're the yeah. center of this. It yeah. was it was vomit-inducing. But going back to Dan and him talking about fidgetal stuff, which, I, again, I don't like saying that, he said how World of Warcraft was doing this in the past already. You would buy something yeah, in the you game buy, and you'd you buy then like you'd a, get a hat. A, a stuffed animal. Yeah. Which he threw, and then his cat pounced on it. I, yeah, his, cat his cat was, was like the best part sick. of that whole thing, by the way. I agree. I want to think. I want you to think about this for a second, right? There's a time where you and I, in the past, signed up for an email service, right? Yeah. Do you remember what it was like signing up for Gmail? Like, like, let's start with Gmail, right? I remember where I was in like 2003, 2004 when I like the beta was closed and they, it became open to the public, and I signed up for it. And you know, people flocked to secure a Gmail address, Angela, right? Like, I, I would imagine you did that. Well, I actually got into the beta. Somebody got me oh. into the beta, so, oh, yeah. right. so that's right. why I have my name, which is why I also get so many things from Italy, because <laughs> all the Angelo Fiorentinos out there think that right. they have the Gmail, but no. Well, I have the Brian Heasty Gmail, and I get a lot of random. There's a Brian Heasty in the UK. There's one in Australia. Yeah, the, the deadbeats, the aren't they? Uh, no, one of, them, one of them in the UK visits brothels. 
one of them in the States gets their muffler serviced, and I get all those emails. And then the one in the UK is a real estate guy. The Australian, well, no, you said UK twice. Is the one in, the, in Australia? No, the, the one in the UK is the bro, uh, brothel, brothel guy. guy. Australia guys. The one in, in Australia yeah. is the real estate guy, and the one in the U.S. Okay. Is, yeah. the, is the muffler guy. Okay, because you said UK twice. That's, that's Oh, I apologize, yeah. Double density. When you signed up for Gmail, you signed up for Gmail because there was a use case, right? It had uh, it was the first one to provide a lot of space, right? Well, I a gigabyte. Was, I it was a gigabyte. Was it was a on, gigabyte. Well, that's why it was in it was the dual meaning of Gmail, right? Google, but also a gigabyte. That was the whole thing there, and yeah, I was on Hotmail at the point. And Same. is it? Uh, do you? So when I see grown adults with Yahoo or Hotmail accounts. There's something judgy of me inside sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes I'm like, hmm, why don't you have a Gmail account? A friend of mine uses both, and it's very strange because depending what day of the week it is, I'll ask him for which one to send something to, and he'll say either or, and I'm just, it's very mystifying to me. I only have my one email address and my work one, obviously, but that's just for work. I, I don't share that one at all. So, yeah. So, like, you know, Gmail's giving you a gig. Gmail's a known entity. There's a good use case there, right? So, like, counter this, like I just mentioned, like, the idea of selling real estate on Decentraland. Like, what's the use case there? Hey, come buy a digital plot of land that may be worth a lot, but probably won't be worth anything. What you mentioned before, too, about it being a mess made me think of the real estate, right? So, there's, like, a lack of a common aesthetic language in the metaverse, right? So, like, the the future looks like it was constructed using Minecraft blocks. Or Lego, but not even the same brand of Lego and uh, off-scale Lego and, right? Well, there's like, some, like, Duplo mixed yeah. in. There's different sets. There's different color aesthetics. Like, you're taking from the bright... Uh, I don't know what the, the baseline Lego is called anymore. It's like Lego City or whatever. Then you take it from the darker Star Wars and, like, all of these things. The the uh, Hershey's one, did they have those weird cannons where you can just sort of, like, slowly shoot. fly up yeah. to the top? Yeah, you just float it up to the cannon to and, shoot and, stuff. Nothing, nothing made sense. It also, you know, mentioning the real estate, I thought of the news story from the UK where the guy was talking about buying all this real estate and how he's yeah. going to sell it for millions. And the, the reporter was shocked that he thought he would get millions. And uh, he did not get millions. He lost no. a lot of money. A lot of money. So this kind of points to my idea, like if the metaverse were to catch on, like we absolutely need some kind of use case for it, right? Because right now it is a third rate, like quote unquote communal experience, you know, where there's like different... Um, shopping experiences like you know you visit the hershey store they give you options you visit the lynn store for chocolates they give you options and you, you click on something and they ask you to leave to go to the amazon like the regional amazon store in order to get that, get that like and like a lot of digital apparel that like just is not great well the tech is completely broken too because when you go to the atari space which is actual atari is there and you want to play a game a game as simple as breakout does not work at yeah. all, something that exactly. was created in the seventies for <laughs> less storage that you had than you have in. I, I can't even think of something that has that little. Does my audio interface have that little storage? I don't even know. Like, I, there's nothing I can think of that has as little storage as when Steve Wozniak created that game to play on whatever it was going to be playing. Was it an arcade game? I can't remember. But Breakout was a very small game, and it can't even run in this thing. No, it's they were showing it, and I laughed at how terrible the ball went straight through like a crevice in the hole. It was so <laughs> terrible, and that kind of points to the bigger issue. Right, so a lot of the conversations and advantages is that all of these like different guys on Twitch are talking about. Right, all of these evangelists speak about is surrounding the idea that it's going to make an individual's life better. 
but few can actually like like articulate how and then like how it's going to make the world in in its entirety like a, a better place right because one of the bigger problems that we're going to talk about is the lack of internet access right so the metaverse can only work as a global force and like i'm saying global but like not China, because like there's no way the CCP is going to be like, yeah, of mm-hmm. course we're going to let all the like all of our citizens onto this, you know, with the unlimited access, unfettered access, right? So if the digital underlying architecture is in place, then that could work, and that means providing the entire world with enough internet bandwidth to accomplish this, which is like really it's far from the current situation, right? So they'd have to kind of rip everything up and start over again if they wanted it to work. I don't think this is ever going to take off or work in this form. Well, you're right. Decentraland is is this. It's going to stay this. As he put it, it, it's basically a dead mall. It's There's nothing going on in there. It's one of those sad shacks on the side of the road where there's a few stores open, but you really, like, you don't really want to go to those stores. No. And you, you definitely don't, don't want to eat there. No. <laughs> yeah, no. The digital meals that you get there are, are awful, right? I definitely do think that the real money, actually, in all of this isn't in investing in something like Decentraland, but is investing in the underlying architecture by which all of these like metaverse fiefdoms like kind of talk to each other, right? So like like a telecom almost, like you know, like a utility. Okay, it's it's just because nothing seems to work properly. No, it's all broken and it's all sad. One of my favorite parts of do we call this a documentary? The film, whatever. Yeah, I would say it's a documentary, right? It was the fashion stuff, the. Reporters that were going to these fashion events couldn't really understand what they were there for and what they were watching. One of them even uh, turned to the camera and wondered what the hell she was doing there. Yeah, the she's problem, like, I canceled my, my gym my, class for this. Yeah, which is a weird thing to say. But anyway, <laughs> it's your job, right? Like, just do it. But it's she did not understand what she was watching, nor did any of the the magazine reporters the problem is, and as he pointed out, as Dan pointed out, they're apologetic towards it. They'll slam it in one paragraph, and then in the next, they'll say, but the future's coming, and maybe it'll work out. They haven't done anything yet. Once you have the VR goggles, even though that's not a plan, that's never, gonna, that's never been planned, the VR goggles, right? Like, none of that's going to work. So... They're apologetic for something that they really shouldn't be. People need to be more critical of these things because every time they come out, people get really excited and it just flops and then we forget about it and then it's just a cycle. It, I was going to say it's just a, a, it's the cyclical nature of uh, technolo- technological advances that the world is trying to push onto us, right? So it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about the decentralized like news network. So at one point, Dan talks about the idea of like if you have enough money um, – so – basically there's like a network of like anchors and people on there who like chronicle Decentraland and they get paid in uh, their own token. And you could basically like spend money in order to kick off or kick out a reporter you don't like. Right. So the idea of objectivity there is just, is just non-existent. Right. So I also feel like the metaverse is pushing this idea. um, And it's kind of the logical conclusion of of like the post, like a post-truth society with the ability to like fire reporters and anchors at will. Like, and also, like, when I'm talking about post-truth, I'm speaking about both form and content. Form as it relates to, like, who's communicating that, whether it is a public figure, whether it's some kind of newsman or news person, I should say, and content with respect to what is being said by the who, right? So this is the timeline for post-truth society, Angela. And you tell me if you agree with this. You ready? Go. Okay. First, it was all about people who argued against fact, the form of it, right? 
you know, a certain ex-president, let's say. Okay. So now we've reached the point where uh, it's people who are actively creating fake pieces of content in order to bolster a narrative. And I was sharing this with you earlier this week by text, but there's a lot of AI-created images of the protests in France going on right now. They're just not factual. They're just created by AI. Is one of them the ones where you saw – I saw somebody send me a picture of people in a restaurant and there's like fires going on behind them. Was that a fake Oh, I'm not one? sure about that one. I'm talking about – the one I saw that was, that was faked is the – there's like an older man um, being pushed up against some, some cops. Okay. And that, that, that's scary because then people will, will buy into it thinking, oh, photos can't be faked. But these are not even – this is just AI running amok at this point. Right. So, like, let's... Well, I mean, it's people using AI yes. to run amok, right? So then, like, let's move on logically into the future then. So for some crazy reason, this metaverse catches on. It's people then describing the entirety of themselves into a character outside of their physical body in order to perform tasks or socialize, right? So who you are offline versus online can be super drastically different. What you're communicating can be super drastically different. So form and content there, right? So right now you and I are cores ourselves. If we want to believe that we are spirits, you know, we still reside offline. You and I do our daily functions and interact people with our bodies, right? Like you have dinner with your family in a space. Mm -hmm. And so do I, you know, I go when I'm buying stuff, I go to a store to interact with other people. Right. Um, But it's also, let's take it back a sec. Cause I want to think about this. Um, before when I was talking about, oh, you know, like, how do you sell something like this, right? How do you? How would you? How would you sell something like this, Angelo? So you were like, hey, listen, Decentraland, two point is here. Like, if you had to wear your salesman slash marketer hat, well, that's the problem I have with this is that I'm the total opposite of this type of thing. This feels so fake and so forced to me that I can't even come up with a pitch for it because it seems so terrible. But if I had to try and you're forcing me to for the podcast, I would say it's an escape from your own reality to become whoever you want to be. Okay. And, and I feel like that's a big pitch that, that has been made over and over for successful things like MMOs, right? Um, if I had to put like my black-hearted black hat on of a marketer, right? Um, right now, Decentraland is selling nothing but features. But we all know as salespeople, and this is something I've read a lot about because of my line of work, that you got to solve the pain points to close more deals, Angelo, right? So features are super nice, but they don't incentivize people to like buy into something, right? So, you know, there are a lot of studies out there that show that people are lonelier than ever. So how do you close that gap, right? It's by, you know, it's not by touting that Hershey's India or Philippines have opened up a pop-up that redirects you to, you know, a regional Amazon store. It's, it's through digital avenues that sort of um, bring you closer to the people you'd be interested in spending time with, you know, preferably through a shared experience. And if you can make that a continual experience, then it's great. And we talked about World of Warcraft before, right? So the idea of an MMO, people know that MMOs work like larger ones because they catch on, right? So it's the idea of you, the self, the digital self belonging to something that is like bigger than you, right? So like you cheer on a sports team, something that is bigger than yourself. You belong to an organization or an activity that's bigger than yourself. You continue onwards and upwards, right? So I feel like as we move ourselves into more articulate and graphically well-designed digital spaces, this is how you sell the metaverse. That's that's a pretty good pitch, Brian. I think, though, Decentraland is going to just end up being a casino because that's the only place that seems to work. In yeah, that uses Flocky, right? Because, like you mentioned, an MMO is something that works. Well, this is sort of like a gambling MMO. The, the thing is, it's, it's very... <laughs> it, it's pretty gray zone the like a lot of it has been shut down and it only seems to be that the poker area only works 
and yeah, even there they it's just down the, the slots and other stuff because like it was like a lot of gray market kind of activities yeah, going yeah and on stuff there. not working and people just getting their money siphoned away from them it was also sort of funny when you saw people just spawn in and just stuck at the spawns point because they spawn in and just stay there it's just odd the whole the whole thing is bizarre to me yeah, no, it really does seem like it's a really good gambling simulator, but also you're kind of involved in cryptocurrency. Um, you know, there's that guy who said, oh, I made $2 in the last like four days of gambling or whatever, because then he kept winning. That's the whole point, because the token is worth so little at that point that he had played and won enough to only make um, $2 in profits, $2 USD. On a side note, uh, like fidgetal, uh, crypto is a word that makes me cringe. And it's really annoying because there's a lot of crypto in F1. So I every time I see something advertised on a F1 car or just at the events, crypto is a big deal there. Well, crypto and gambling, right? Because Stake was on one of the cars, and now the uh, their Twitch rival Kick exists. Not interesting to me at all. <laughs> so listen, like when you and I talk, we do this increasingly through screens, right? So it is you and I here. You know, um, Have we talked about VTubers before? I can't remember. VTubers? Yes. I, d- I don't know what that is, so I guess not. Okay, so we haven't talked about this. So these are basically like human beings who put on different sensors in order to appear um, as a digital, fully rendered avatar, like Cody Miko. Um, and I'll include a, a link in the show notes of how this person does these things. Um, so basically, she wears a, a number of sensors in order to move her virtual body around when she um, streams on Twitch. So, you know, we still appear as ourselves, mostly. I think. But then it kind of like gets into talking about like filters. And stuff like, you know, the entire influencer culture loves filters, especially on Instagram, in order to transform themselves into what they believe is the optimal version of themselves when they're posting pictures and videos, right? And it's actually taken on an even bigger stage. So my wife and I, uh, not the most recent season, but we've watched the first couple of seasons of the Netflix reality series Selling Sunset. So Selling Sunset in season four started applying camera filters during talking head segments in order to make these people look better, but they look off. Influencers makes make me feel like the the cranky old man yelling at clouds, like our friend Nolan from last week, uh, but <laughs> but with with the internet, I guess. Everything about influencers seems so forced and so fake to me, and I think that's the point, right? That's what they. Well, that's do. the whole point, yeah. It, it's to buy into a, a set of aesthetics, right? It, that you are aligning yourself with. Once again, like becoming bigger than yourself. Like, and I think this all ties down to the idea of tribalism, right? Like the idea of the sports fan wearing the Jersey, painting the face, the idea of this person wearing merch. Like I'm wearing a Gojira shirt right now because I love the band, right? And that's, that's tribalistic in nature. I enjoy this band. So therefore I am proud to display it. Yeah. And that, that's totally fine. It's just, I don't, and what you're doing isn't, doesn't seem forced and doesn't seem fake. The influencer stuff just, you can kind of tell when somebody's not into something and they're really pushing it. And I guess, like I said, that's their job. And you see it with athletes, you see it with, uh, with, with celebrities, you see it with anybody. And then the influencer that came from nothing and wanted to become a celebrity and they became an influencer and now they're an influencer, celebrity influencer. It's just also... I think, I think you're kind of pointing towards the... the the famous for fa- for fame's sake kind of thing, right? Like you're just wondering what the net benefit is to society of, of people like this. Yeah, right? because it, there's no, there's none that I see, and it's why I stick to like smaller channels and stuff like. I, and one of the main reasons I got rid of Instagram and I'm not on Twitter anymore. It just I'm so much happier in terms yeah. of my uh, uh, like just in terms of popular culture and stuff. I just watch stuff I want to watch. Right, like on YouTube, I'll watch 
there's a few uh, video game channels I follow, a few music channels I follow, and I, I enjoy those. And that's that's what I follow, and that's what I look at, and that's it. You've never been, you never struck me as the FOMO kind of guy, though, either, right? Which is kind of good. No, I I try not to. Like every like you know, a new iPhone comes out, I'm like, ooh, I really want to get one, and then I kind of forget about it, and I keep my twelve year old iPhone, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I try not to rush out to buy things the moment they come out. Now I'll do that sometimes if it's something I know. I really want. Yeah. What was the last thing I, I got day one? I can't really remember, apart from unless it's a video game. But that does, I don't feel like that counts, right? Let's like that watch is, it. I don't think that counts anymore. So, yeah, I can't. I can't really think of anything that I like. I mean, the last computer I bought was uh, like was the 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 model that was just replaced, right? Like I don't right, mind doing right. that anymore because I'm at the point where it's, I think it's, you and I have talked about the concept of good enough, right? Like this is good enough. Yeah, and I, it's funny. I was reading an article in a in a guitar magazine about gas. Do you have gas? No. Do you know what that is? It's it's no. it was coined in the nineties. Uh, it, it was coined as guitar acquisition syndrome, but it's uh, later was changed to gear acquisition syndrome. And it's a lot of people have that, especially people that are into music aren't uh, actual gigging musicians. But have disposable income because they can. They have some money to spend on gear, and they just keep buying more and more gear. And you see this in all sorts of hobbies. The same thing exists in magic, right? Like I, because I predominantly like doing card magic. The only gear I can acquire is just more books upon books, right? But like, there's people that enjoy magic and just keep buying props and stuff too. So, so it's a lot, just it's a lot clear, cheaper you don't have than one of those rigged guillotines in your house. I don't know. I had to actually sell that, but. <laughs> When the kids came along, you kind of had to give up the more the sharper objects. Yeah, but it, it's like it's like when you had you were, when you expressed surprise that I told you I had no guitar pedals. I just I never really got into collecting that, and that's I think that kind of kept me safe from gear acquisition syndrome in terms of music. I I have the same keyboard I've had for twenty years and stuff. Right, I only just recently I mean I haven't mentioned on the show, but I just finally recently bought a quote unquote real electric guitar because my my other two were not real. They were real. They're just not. I would say, like, there were more beginner class guitars, right? Like, now I, I right. finally decided to buy a big boy one. And, of course, they ask you, what is the first song you play? And you said, oh, nothing. So I figured you'd say scales, which I thought was accurate. More or less, yeah. I kind of just, like, noodled around. That's, I think that's one of my uh, music goals is actually learn some songs because that's one of the things. I don't know any songs. I just kind of improvise and sit at, like, no matter what instrument I play, I just, I just kind of just noodle around. And that is terrible if you ever want to get better. That, that well, that is quite true, right? Your chops aren't that great. You you said you aspire to be a shredder, and I believe in your ability to do that. And we've been joking about starting a, a prog metal band instead of doing a podcast. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, in, in terms of guitar playing, I I know a lot of chords and stuff, and I could play rhythm relatively well. But I never, in the twenty some odd years I've played, never got into sitting down and learning how to play lead guitar of any kind. So you know, I'm kind of futzing around with some blues and some shredding and i'm terrible at it but i'm i'll get better eventually it's never too late to learn to read or play guitar <laughs> true true read right shred right yeah. steve Vai style um so yeah i don't know like i just there's one final thing i like to talk about in terms of like the you know the post truth society because this has been like weighing on my brain a lot because of ai and then talking about the metaverse and the future right so, yeah because you dropped yeah. this video on me earlier in the week I did. And yes. I was, I was like, what is this? And I, I will, I will be honest with you. 
the first 45 minutes were a slog to get through. Like I, I got through the first 20 minutes. I stopped. I watched 10 more minutes. Then I watched 15 more minutes. And then I finally watched the like, last hour or so last night all in a bunch. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed that last hour. Yeah, I feel like it builds up to a right. So let's talk about Ready Player One, right? So that kind of touches upon the idea that um, anyone can rise up and become someone online, right, with all these different IPs, which will never happen, by the way, unless we turn into a world with one single corporation. But that is not to be. Uh, But the truth is that this will probably go real south really quickly because there is something that exists in time immemorial that we all know about. Those are bad faith actors they're going to continue to find ways to exploit the platform for their own means they're going to you know create chaos like all of these ai created images like you probably saw the pope in balenciaga right the big puffy coat did you see that image floating around the internet no okay so that was a big thing over the last like a week or so is the pope remember i'm not on twitter or instagram or anything and i don't really read the news okay so i, want I just you to look go at and... what you tell me to look at for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're saying is I'm a source of information for you, right? Pretty much. And I'm, that's not that's not like a uh, a lie. So I want you to open up a Google window right now, Angelo, and just type in Pope Balenciaga and go to the images tab. Hey, it looks really good. That's is a fake image, Angelo. That's impressive. It's scary. It's Seriously, scary, right? All of these are fake? Yes, the Balenciaga ones the, and the big puffy coat with the huge cross in front are all fake, yes. But he's like, there's a, several images of him just like that. I know. That's impressive. So, like, once again, this, the future, and I say, hate to sound depressing, is like a lose lose proposition. Cause, like, no matter which way we go with this, we're gonna lose the concept of objectivity, right? So, because we live in a post truth society and now everything is digital in nature, right? Which means that everything is editable. Like, how. Can we be sure of yesterday if all of yesterday is infinitely editable, Angelo? That's kind of what I'm stuck on these days. Well, we're never going to get good pictures of a UFO then because it all will, <laughs> people like me will say it's fake. It's true, no matter what, right? And I got into a fight with a guy on Reddit this week who said that all debunkers are paid. And I was like, I kind of – I would like some money, guy. Where do I get my money? But you're not the debunker of this show. I'm the debunker. Why? did he? Did... No, but it meant more like he's just saying like anytime anyone's skeptic, then automatically they're paid debunkers. And I was like, I would – I would love it. I would love some money to debunk. I will I will tell you right now, I was not paid to uh, talk about Philip Class and be on his side and debunk anything. So, Yeah, but visit uh, um, that so, – something before I forget on the tech side of things. We – a weird file appeared in our SS feed like uh, yesterday, April 1st. I have no freaking clue how that happened, so I contacted our – um, host server on Fireside to figure out what's going on. He told us to keep the file there in order to figure out what's going on. So if you want to listen to a guy named Brad Christopher just talk weirdly about rock bands, then like that's there too. For he looks, it's super friggin' weird. He's a good looking guy though. If you go to our, if you go to the page to to look at it, he even put in a picture of himself. He rocks. Yeah. Speaking of things that rock, Angela, let us head on over to the paranormal side of things where we dive deep into the uh, realms of the unknown. It's happening. I'm so happy we're doing this. So apparently there's a female ghost in this apartment building who thinks I'm attractive. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So first things first, Angela, your beloved form is alive and well. Thank you. So we have uh, an email from Melissa from Colorado. 
who says, hey, guys, I really dig listening to your show with Nick from Colorado. So my questions. One, what is your favorite Robert Stack episode of Unsolved Mysteries? Two, favorite episode of In Search Of? Three, and favorite episode of The Twilight Zone or X-Files? Also, Nick was unable to send a question due to injury from the inferior 4 one contact form. The struggle is real. Melissa from Colorado. <laughs> Melissa, firstly, thank you so much for emailing us. This is a great question to ask. I've been thinking about this for, for a lot of days now since we got this. And, Angela, I'm kind of wondering how you're feeling about – let's start with Unsolved Mysteries. Let's start with Robert Stack. Let's start with the classics. So, Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries. Who or what are your favorite segments? Okay. I had to Google – Basically, my recollection of an episode I liked, and I remembered something about a murder, a train yard, and a green tarp. And I literally Googled those words, and it came up with the episode. Funny enough, it's the same episode that has the D.B. Cooper episode, the D.B. Cooper-like segment. And I remember really liking that. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was later in the run. This is season one, episode three. (laughs) Sorry, no, (laughs) episode five, because episode three is my other favorite one, which I also thought was much later in the run. And that would be the episode with the Tallman House bunk beds. Oh, that's a good one, too. Did you know this? I don't remember this. Maybe we brought it up before. That episode appeared on my 11th birthday, October no, I, 26, I, I, I feel like we may 1988. Have. That was, it, it showed up on my 11th birthday as a nice present to give me nightmares. <laughs> so that episode, it had the Tallman House, the um, Queen Mary ghost stuff, so I, I enjoyed that episode. The other one I mentioned, episode five of the same season, season one, had D.B. Cooper and the train yard murders of Don Henry and Kevin Ives. Yeah, a lot of those, uh, a lot of the missing people in the murder enactments are super, super creepy. I, I couldn't pick one, so I, I went with the UFO stuff. So obviously the Garden UFO case, right, that we talked about Definitely. With, uh, with Ian, um, who was investigated for, for Move On at the time. Um, the Belgian UFO wave from the late yes. 80s, the Withville case, and also the Hudson Valley UFO stuff was super fascinating to me. One of the ones that sort of gets a uh, a rotten tomato for me is uh, when they talked about the Phoenix Lights and showed the oh, footage yeah. of the flares. Oh, w- and the Lonnie Zamora UFO sighting reenactment was fun too, actually. Oh yeah, I remember that vaguely. But yeah, so those when I so I, I answered this question in the way the first thing that popped into my head, and like I said, it was it was those ones. Now, in search of, I never watched. I actually maybe like a dozen years ago bought the UFO. Like this, in search of box set. Okay, and like this is this is the Leonard Nimoy thing. Yeah, the one from the seventies. Yeah, in early eighties. Yeah. Okay, I never watched it. My favorite one actually is very topical of the time. So you never watched this, but I ended up watching it retroactively in my like twenties. Um, there's a really fun, like, and I use fun in quotations, uh, Bermuda Triangle episode, which I really enjoyed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna choose that one. Okay, I'll have. We to... talked about the Bermuda Triangle like two years ago, and I feel like it, it was very of the time in the mid seventies to early eighties. Oh, I, we were terrified of the Bermuda Triangle at that time. It just that and quicksand. Yeah, the biggest two uh, issues that uh, teens faced or early, like younger kids faced. Younger kids faced, time. yeah. Now, Twilight yeah. Zone also shocked me how early this episode was. So even though people didn't like it, I grew up watching the uh, like the remake of the Twilight Zone. Well, not really remake, but the revival of it in the mid-80s. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Okay. I didn't realize this, but the episode that... I remember the most really enjoying and still thinking about it to, to this day because it, it kind of freaked me out. It's literally the first season, first episode, first segment, and it's called A Little Peace and Quiet. And I also didn't know it was directed by Wes Craven. This oh, really? is, I didn't know yeah, that at all. 
Do you know which ep- what this is that I'm talking about? It's the so, one. No, where... I haven't. I, I didn't watch the 80s revival. Okay. I was in time for the 90s revival of The Outer Limits. Yes, I remember watching that um, as well. And because we're in Canada, it got pumped out like three times a week on different channels. Yeah. In but, syndication. But this episode stayed with me because it was a woman who found something. I didn't remember at the time, but I kind of looked it up at the Wikipedia article where she found the pendant in her backyard and it gave her the power to tell people to shut up and it would stop time in the entire world except her. And then she would let let them start talking again when she said that. And towards the end, it's right, middle of the Cold War. Well, middle of the Cold War, towards the end, actually. But USSR launches missiles, and she has to stop time with the missile about to hit her town. And she is kind of stuck with the choice of living out the rest of her days all alone or letting the missile crash and her dying. A lot so, of problems there. Yeah, it kind of freaked me out, though. Sophie's F- choice right there. Yeah, fun fact about the episode. It talked about how they didn't use any special effects for the stopping of time. People literally just stopped. <laughs> Stop breathing. Yeah, the they, they even made that a dog do it, <laughs> according to the Wikipedia article. All right, so I'm flipping it. Uh, I watched uh, Classic Twilight Zone maybe like three years ago, three like three seasons of it. So I'm more of an X-Files kind of person. Um, and it was kind of hard. So I have three. I have Squeeze, I have Home, and then all the way on the other side of Hosey's Chungs. I don't, I don't know the titles. Like I've seen all the X-Files episodes, but I don't know what, what the titles are referring to. So Jose Chung's from Outer Space is like the jokey, kind of the, the biggest one that you point to is the, the joke one. And then Home is the family of like inbred people and it's shot um, in widescreen, which was kind of interesting because I remember catching it live on Sunday oh, night wow. and being freaked out by it. And Squeeze um, is all about a man who can fit into tight spaces. That I remember that one. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. So X-Files had lots of interesting episodes for sure. I agree. So thank you, Melissa. Uh, keep Great sending your question. stuff in. Angela, where can people send their stuff in? Uh, go to doubledensity.net. There's a form. Fill it out. Click. Yeah. Click Don't get injured. Form, if yeah. If not, double underscore density on Twitter. Double density podcast at gmail.com. Now, let us get into the main subject here. Angela, we promised this for a couple of weeks, and now we're here. Last episode, you said you wanted to do shadow people. So I found you an episode of Coast to Coast AM from May 31st, 2001, all about shadow people. And now, if people want to Google 201105, 31 morgan spence s-p-e-n-c-e they can find the episode online around yeah somewhere for you to listen to yeah so we're going to do a quick rundown and kind of uh, talk about the concept of shadow people and then talk about the deeper mystery that we ended up dialing into so you want to stick around for that too so angela things start off of course with the classic Giorgio Moroder song the chase And then uh, Bart does his usual sp- spiel, right? He mentions getting a letter from and uh, picks from uh, his friend, Billy Gibbons. Didn't know that. Top. Pretty amazing. He's on the Vomit Comet and, uh, you know, Billy Gibbons uh, experienced witnesses. He does some news updates, you know, Timothy McVeigh, et cetera. Um, you know, and this is uh, pre-9-11, 2001. President Bush is looking for an increase in military spending. I guess he got it uh, a couple of months later, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. One of the funny things is he mentions Ed Dames and how he has him on a shadow people case. He's on the shadow. Yeah. And he's got him on the shadow people case. Yeah. As well as the city underwater near Cuba. Yeah. So uh, that is the first half of the first hour. And the second half is spent with uh, listener calls all about um, shadow people encounters. Well, they, they also brought up climate change quickly. 
And yes, for some for 2001, Art had an excellent grasp on the whole idea that global warming doesn't mean everything's warming up because one of the colors mentioned how it's not, it's you know everything's still cold and it's like and Art was very clear and he totally nailed it how it doesn't mean that it's going to get warmer or colder we're just going to be getting more extremes and he, it, I was shocked I didn't realize he was so well versed in that well so he co-wrote a book called The Oncoming uh, Global Superstorm with Whitley Strieber that got turned into the movie The Day After Tomorrow. No so way. 90, yeah, so the book is from 98 or 99. And so uh, he's been in that realm at that point for like two years, two, let's say three years, right? If they're writing the book in 97, Okay, I did not know that that movie was based on a book by our Bell and Whitley Strieber. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Holy moly, I, I have to go back and watch and look for the credits. Yeah, all right, so let's talk about the beginning of the second hour. Uh, where Art brings on the lovely Dr. Morgan Spence. And so she, her bio is still available on coasttocoastam.com, even though she was from 2001. So I'm going to read this to you, Angelo. Dr. Morgan Spence was born in the Northwest U.S., raised by her Australian father and Irish mother. Dr. Spence's father disappeared under mysterious circumstances in 1985 and has never been seen, seen since. She received her PhD in paranormal research from the International Research Academy and has dedicated her life to gaining a better understanding of paranormal phenomena. She has studied the shadow beings phenomenon for over 11 years. So that's the blurb from the website. Uh, yeah. Now, the, just to go back to some of the callers that what they brought up, one of them was a woman who was alone in her home and heard something and then she saw a shadow person and then she cowered under her sheets and the shadow person leaned over her and said, boo. That is correct. That made me laugh out loud. Also (laughs) terrifying, but made me laugh out loud. And this is at the point where art sort of comes up with his theory about how it's, or not theory, but his, he's noticed that younger people, seem to be seeing shadow peeper people that is right shadow yeah. peepers i don't want to see any <laughs> shadow peepers uh but shadow people are seen by younger people and he's positing that it could have something to do with technology and dr spence sort of brings that up as well also yeah, so we'll get into that after, yeah but and that's then, at hour three yeah but just one last call before spence arrives is that there's a dude that calls in to say the moon landing is fake and nasa's refusing to use the hubble telescope to prove it I mean, listen, can we, we live in a post-truth society, Angelo. Can we, can we not talk about it, right? Who yeah. knows? All right. And uh, the Mandela effect was brought up as well. Yes. Uh, which a lot of people are saying, oh, gee, that's so weird. Uh, it was only coined in like 2012. So the idea has been formulated a bunch of times prior to 2012. It was just named this um, in that way. Really? So, it was only named in 2012? I think so. Like it was only because, named like a decade and change ago. Okay. So, but... This could be an instance of it being. It, yeah. Well, like, Probably is not. it? Did we just witness the birth of the Mandela effect? Did Dr. Morgan Spence, like, actually coin it? Because she literally brought up the, 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 the Mandela thing, right? It was her who brought it up on this episode. So Fiona Broom coined the term at an event in 2010. So there we go. So it could be earlier than that. Colloquially speaking. Right, so we, this may be ground zero for the Mandela effect being uh, coined, seriously, or termed. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
So Spence claims that she only started listening to Coast to Coast a couple of weeks uh, prior and emailed Art all about her specialty in her forthcoming book, and that's how they got into contact. So her and her associate, Dr. C.A. Reed, which is a woman, so uh, Dr. Spence refers to Dr. Reed a bunch of times, are writing a book about people's encounters with shadow people. And then during the interview, it's mentioned that Dr. Reed is not wild about public speaking, which is why Dr. Spence is doing it. So Art says that shadow people could be magic, and Dr. Morgan Spence says all magic is science we don't yet understand. Angelo, thoughts? Sorry, hold on a second. I just Brian, uh, I just breaking news here from uh, 2001. I, yeah, I googled. It's funny. I googled Fiona Broom, Morgan Spence, Mandela effect, and it came up with this website called Alternate Memories, which does not look to be a very good website. But it says earliest oh, is example. Oh, another pictures load. And yeah. It's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Earliest example of Mandela being associated with the Mandela effect is 2001 with this episode. Time oh, there we go. So we are literally, we're not joking now. This is ground zero for the Mandela effect. The, that, okay, so this is crazy. People need to know this. All magic is science. We don't yet understand, Angelo. Go. That was uh, Arthur C. Clarke, not Mandela. <laughs> All right. So getting back to Dr. Spence and her showing up on this on this episode, isn't it weird that she, like, is into paranormal and had never heard an episode of coast to coast well it depends where she lived right so she lives in the northwest united states she's you're not listening to radio after midnight necessarily right i you know it wasn't as easy to find out about these things necessarily unless you were looking for it yeah and i thought she was living in vancouver she mentioned maybe bc yeah because she she said she was raised in the uh, northwestern united states okay okay so yeah, so speaking of her her upbringing, so Dr. Spence relates the story of telling her dad as a three-year-old that there was a di- like different shadow people coming through the TV, like the movie The Ring. Yeah, I mean, just, just I'm hearing scratching noises behind me. That's freaking me out. Do you think that's how shadow people work, though? Like, that's not... A lot of this episode is spent trying to connect shadow people to technology. Yeah, so Don't I was going to say, find... Art mentions that this is a rather modern phenomenon, these shadow people, right? I wonder, though, because maybe it's it's a modern phenomenon because it's something that people maybe have seen on TV or it's made them think of it. And obviously, they didn't have So TV. they just collected unconsciously yeah, these ideas maybe. And, and they're manifesting, right? Uh, you know, uh, kind of related, Dr. Spence believes at this point that it has to do with electromagnetic energies. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Art also mentions that he's seen uh, in the corner of his eyes some like shadow people, but he's never directly seen something. And then th- there's the concept. But they're always from the corner of your eye. Like that's the whole thing with shadow people is that it's the way your vision yeah. works. Which is also super confusing. Uh, and then Dr. Spence gets into the idea of spherical logic, which took me a second to understand. So she's saying like linear logic is you follow A to B to C. But spherically, you have to do a full 360 and then go around the sphere in other ways to complete the sphere it was a very confusing kind of concept i have to admit yeah well i mean early on in uh, in her interview you can pretty much tell that she's a true believer <laughs> right. right like she's yeah. into this hardcore yeah um so she and art spend a lot of time trying to figure out what they are and what they aren't so dr spence believes that they're not demons in the biblical kind of way yeah it, it comes uh, she comes across as somebody who's non-religious Right, and, and we'll play a clip of that later, where um, Art Bell asks her about that. Yeah, and but Bell seems genuinely troubled by shadow people. Like, shadow people. like and he yeah. doesn't want to be a shadow person when he dies. <laughs> when he dies, so like he mentions that specifically, and how he hopes it has nothing to do 
with it being related to the, another, like to the afterlife or ghosts or anything yeah. like that. He does not want to be a shadow person. But, you know, Dr. Spence sort of kind of, kind of comforts in him saying that, no, but maybe they don't, they're like, uh, maybe we're shadow people in their dimension, to them, right? Exactly. So, th- so that is something that I find interesting. And the only thing I'm like fully believing is that Dr. Morgan Spence talks about how she's not an absolutist, which I, I kind of enjoy, right? So she's saying like some of these shadow people could be ghosts, right? And ghosts, as Art Bell defines them, as someone who's formerly alive, but who's now dead and their solar spirit is kicking around. And then also perhaps Angelo, psychic vampires, so beings who are attracted to strong emotions, to feed on fear, to quote a letter that Art had received uh, during that time. You know, are there different frequencies that these people inhabit? You know, maybe they belong, and we've talked about this, to um, the same space, but belong to different dimensions, right? We all inhabit the earth in different ways. Yeah, and and Spence has a lot of experience with shadow people, right? Like she talks about it herself, having seen some uh, when she was young. It's just, so for somebody that sort of didn't really like public speaking, she's actually a pretty good interview, don't you feel? Yeah, she's really, really good at answering questions and like sticks around. So she sticks around for the full episode. Um, is that something normal agrees. for? No, not necessarily. So some, so if Art doesn't like someone, he'll dong them off and say like, "Oh, you know, next hour open lines." Um, but if he likes a a guest uh, long enough, he'll ask them to stick around to do um, take calls. So some people say yes, some people say no, depending how comfortable you are with that. She was very likable. I will say that. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely, super, super nice. Um, which also kind of like so. There's a couple of moments in the episode where like Art Bell is like the old white guy who like makes several like gender jokes like um young people uh young women are the most like emotion uh filled people like art thinks that you know young women are like the devil and then Dr. well it Spence also goes kind of, back to an earlier call right where like an, a yeah. young guy called in about it uh something a 19 year old yeah had yeah. called in and said that yeah yeah so and then dr spence makes a comment about women being blamed because of you know eve and the apple which i really enjoyed yeah she's i feel like she really didn't have any trouble playing off of him she, no, not at all. She came off as very comfortable and not like a deer caught in the headlights. And, you know, I, I really, this episode made me want to look into seeing what else she's done in, in the world of the paranormal. Yeah, she's, de- well, anyway, all that to say, she's definitely a likable, likable person. Yeah. So here's some characteristics of shadow people. They recognize humans. They move quickly. They disappear and move faster when they're recognized. Agree with all those? Yeah, definitely. And also they do that because they don't exist and they only appear in the corner of your eyes because of the way vision works. But that's okay. So there's even a discussion about sleep disorders. Art recounts how he actually ended up accidentally punching his then wife in the back of her head because he was was fighting people, which I found kind of funny. And then um, time disturbances and time travel. And how does that tie into the notion of shadow people, right? You know, um, could people be tampering with time? How does it tie into shadow people? Are they cloaked? And then there's from a the whole future? debate about women asking for directions, right? Yeah, that was that was uh, a little that was annoying. a little point yeah, right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, she talked about it how it's it could be near death that if we've traveled to another universe, yeah, uh, it could and like she's kind of sort of explaining the Mandela effect. Brian, there's a call around the two hour and thirty six minute mark. If you go back and listen to the caller, he sounds like Stanton Freeman. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, he does a little bit, yes. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Spence. Hello. Hi, this is Chris in Sacramento. Hello, Chris. You're going to have to yell at us. You're not too loud. Okay, sorry about that. That's better? better? Yep, much better. Okay. I was just wanting to make a comment. I have never seen a shadow person in my life. And... Okay, I. it's not just me that felt like he sounded like, like right? It really no, sounded like yeah. 
Yeah. So and I another wonder- caller uh, call asks, uh, you know, are Shadow Beings time travelers using cloaking technology to hide their presence, which I thought was an interesting take on that. And then yeah. Dr. Spence is like, I don't know, could be. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, somebody calls in and says he has proof of time travel. Do you remember this guy? Yeah, that's towards the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's basically nonsense about the photographic memory not working with history because people are changing time. Yeah, uh, so you're talking about uh, in the last hour, Dawn in Indiana has proof of time travel. People have photographic memory in every area, but when it comes to history, that's proof that someone's going back and changing history. You can use hypnotism to figure it out, Angelo. Yeah, that's so the yeah, Jesus interview. Yeah. When it comes to the hypnotism, if you if you use that as your basis for your explanation, you've kind of just unfortunately lost it. Yeah. One of the interesting things I thought is that uh, parallel experiences kind of explain the concept of deja vu, right? So if you're in different dimensions, like kind of living through the the same thing, but slightly different could feel that uh, kind of weird. And then Art Bell, Angelo makes a joke about your favorite topic, rods. So he jokes that Jose Escamillion <laughs> and rods, shadow people could be on the same frequency and they're connected, Angelo. And then as, because uh, I'm going through this chronologically, the doors are open, the lines are open. Dr. Spence takes some calls. So a woman from South Carolina calls and says that she and her family have experienced shadow people, um, shadow forms, I should say, uh, all throughout her life. They got TV early and believe they were looking after her in kind of like an angelic kind of way. Yeah. And there is, again, even though she's older, there's a connection to a newish technology. And she, she kind of shoehorned that in. And then there's Sarah from Syracuse who remembers the exact day that she had an encounter with a shadow person because she keeps a dream journal. Angela, do you keep a dream journal? I actually tried that in my younger years because I did have a fascination with dreams and thought they were really interesting. But then it got tedious and I decided to stop doing that. And so this is one of the weirder comments that gets made. So Dr. Spence, in response to a caller talking about a childhood game that he would play where he pretended there's a whole other world out there that no one knew about this, states that maybe... Our imaginations are just another dimension seeping into our thoughts, which I thought was interesting. That's a, actually a fun hypothesis to yeah. – you can never prove it, but it's kind of fun to th- sort of think about it. And then uh, Art hits up the wildcard line and someone suggests that perhaps it's astral projection. When you're sleeping or you're traveling you know, in, a, in a kind of like a mini consciousness throughout the world. Now, can you explain – so uh, again, I'm not a coast-to-coast a, a AM connoisseur. But what is like so when when he has all these different lines, what is this wild card line? So essentially, the way that it works is that Art Bell divides up his uh, callers through East of the Rockies, West of the Rockies, and then there's a first time caller line. So that's anywhere, and then the wild card line you can also call from anywhere, right? So if you're not making through East Coast or West Coast, you can give the wild card line a shot. Oh, okay. I just thought so it was kind of weird. Of yeah, I just kind of found that weird that he had the, the West of the Rockies, You're not used East to of phone the Rockies. Calls, Angela. Yeah, I guess. I just thought it was kind of weird. Double density. And then Dr. Spence drops a knowledge bomb on us by giving us her email address, dimension1111 or dimension1111 at yahoo.com, which I emailed earlier in this week, and it came back as uh, uh, the inbox is inactive, unfortunately, Angela. Uh, so sorry too about bad. That. So then uh, Don, who was earlier talking about the idea of... Uh, yeah, sorry. Know, I uh, jumped the gun on that one. Photographic memory in history. Uh, he also says that Irish folklore divides the, the world into three. Uh, the world as we see it, the shade, and then the astral plane. And then he also says something super weird, which made me laugh. He said, go look at security tapes from various malls, and you'll see people disappearing and reappearing like 100 feet away, which made me laugh because I was like, I don't know what you're looking at, dude. Like, I don't... Yeah, that's I thought... That bad was tech. Really, yeah, that was really, really a, a weird... Call. I mean, he's a military guy. He's watched tapes. He knows his stuff. And then finally, Mark from BC called in. Last very call Canadian. Night, very Canadian. Yeah. Had a few shadow experiences. 
Um, he saw some dogs walking around, a bunch of shadow people around in the bushes. Then they turned into spirits and were flying around. And then Mark woke up in terror. Um, so talking about sleep paralysis, dark demons wearing onks, and then Art cut him off because it was the end of the episode. Yeah, he was Dr. kind Spence. of rambling, wasn't he? Yeah, he thanks Dr. Spence for her appearance and uh, signs off. So, Angelo, how did you feel about this episode when listening to it? Did you enjoy talking about shadow people, thinking about shadow people? You have thoughts about shadow people? They scare you? I'm glad I picked this episode. Well, first of all, now that we've discovered it is the beginning of the Mandela effect. This is a discovery to end all discoveries. Angela, we have a second discovery to end all discoveries. Okay, here. so this is uh, the this thing. Is, this is the messed up part about this. There is no Dr. Bork and Spence, Angelo. I was listening to this, and I was looking this up, trying to figure out, oh, have I heard her name before? Have I seen anything? Let's at least find the book. She's talking that sounds really, actually, something interesting. Can't find her. I'm messaging you, sending you links to Reddit posts, talking about how she may actually have been a shadow person herself, basically, because she does not seem to exist. There's... On the Fortiana uh, forums, they're talking about this Dr. Morgan Spence as if they've never been able to find her. These books that Art Bell mentions, the book that Art Bell mentions, her her co-writer, they're, they're nowhere to be found anywhere. That is exactly it, Angela. They are nowhere, right? So a couple of weird things, right? So when you listen to her bio, go check out her bio um, in the show links. Why do they talk about her dad disappearing? Why? What does that have to do with anything? Her dad disappeared? They mentioned that? I can't remember that. Yeah, in the bio. Oh, okay. So her, also her credentials seem really suspect, right? So she doesn't have – she doesn't say where she got her bachelor's or her master's. Uh, I can't find anything about the International Research Academy. And the idea of getting a PhD in paranormal research seems super vague to me. Yeah, there's no such thing. Yeah. As someone who checks um, academic credentials, Angela, you're a specialist. I want to hear your thoughts about all this. <laughs> I think it's made up. <laughs> right, like the, the, there's, there's, yeah, that's that's all made up. So her accent also doesn't sound 100 percent either. Um, she seems to lose it a few times. So I'm going to include a clip right now. Um, so and earlier when you're talking about whether or not she is a, a believer, um, this is where Art asks her, and this is her answer very quickly. If I read between your voice, you, you're probably unconvinced there really are even demons, as in the biblical sense. Well, I don't know. I, I, I probably. Probably not in a literal sense, but it's been presented through the religious text. And then also uh, another fun fact is shadowbeings.com, which I found on the Wayback Machine, um, was put up like a couple of weeks beforehand. Like this was all set up very much like very much prior and around her appearance on the Art Bell Show on Coast to Coast AM. This all seems like it was orchestrated for her to go on. Maybe she's an actor of some kind because she was so comfortable, so good with her words. She kept that accent going pretty strong i mean can you keep an australian accent going that long no never i'm not even going to attempt that and insult anyone in australia who listens to us because i know there's a bunch of you yeah i'm not i i I mean australian accents you basically just have to ask everything say everything like you're asking a question right (laughs) right exactly yeah so her book uh, her and sorry dr c.a reed's book shadow beings uh, reality unveiled and the real and reality is all caps was supposed to come out in ebook form june 18th 2001 for price of 11 dollars 11 cents which i was like very funny and then the physical book was supposed to come out in august uh, 2001 for what price is of what is the significance of 11 11 because it's in Make the wish, angelo really that's what it is yeah oh yeah. okay it's a lucky number okay 
Yeah, it was mentioned. And then, the, so if you if you go to the Wayback Machine and you visit ShadowBeings.com and you read the book excerpt, it also was blurred by someone named Richard Hamlin, who I can find nothing about because all the people I find who are named Richard Hamlin do not line up properly with who this could be in this realm. There's a lot of business people named Richard Hamlin who have a certain age, but has nothing to do with this. The, this is the best part of this episode. We we so we managed to pick an episode that. Well, you Myers and mystery. Like, I did not go looking for this at all. I was ready and willing and excited to talk about Shadow People. And suddenly, it's a, a mystery about the guests themselves. So there is – we'll include a link um, in the show notes, too, to a Coast to Coast – the Coast to Coast AM subreddit um, from 2020, I think, all about – uh, who this person could be. So this Reddit sleuth did a bit of, of digging around. So they took the dimensional 1111.yahoo.com. They found dimension1111.com, which is owned by a woman named Lisa Benneke, who uses the email angelmaster at dimension1111.com. And then, um, so then uh, it seems like Angela Benneke jumps to the comments and says it's not her, which I find really interesting. So I, I don't even know. I feel like this is like a whole like Taylor Swift being on 4chan type of thing. Yeah. Also, how did they find this? I guess they were Googling their own name. I have no idea. So, yeah, it's just all very bizarre. Yeah. And also, but I love it. This is like, it, it just, it made me so happy that this episode, and now that we come to across the point that it also sort of coined the Mandela effect. It's freaky. Effect. I'm sorry, but it's so, freaky. And yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. We've created our own little shadow pocket universe whoever this person is this dr morgan spence character like this is some classic improv right some yes ending like everything that comes up she's adding to it she's not necessarily turning anything out she says it could be a possibility seriously the 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 icing on the cake and the cherry on top would be if she listens to double density whoever this person reaches out to us 20 years on you know she's like in her 50s or 60s and says guess what i was the person on that episode. I was Dr. Morgan Spence. Good die, mate. Yeah. <laughs> See, you did the Australian accent. I did, I did. Um, all right, Angela, here's the last question I'm going to ask you. Was Art in on the dupe? So this is something to consider. Art Bell does not have a producer. Art Bell does not have a booking agent. All of the booking is handled by Art himself. He seemed to genuinely really like this person. He got along with her well. And they I did don't a pre-interview, because and at one point she said, when I talked to you yesterday, so there's a pre-interview phone call that had happened. Yeah. And it's not like now where he saw who he was talking to. This was not a Zoom call. This no, is a exactly. phone call. Very old school. So he's never actually seen this person. She could say she's living somewhere, or I guess he would see the area code. Not even. Did he even have color ID in 2001? Who knows? I don't think he was in on it. I think he just... I'm of two minds. I'm okay. of two minds. Um, You're hedging your bets here. Well, okay, so there's like, there's kind of, I think there's evidence for both, right? So I think, first and foremost, he's really interested in talking about Shadow People because he feels like it is something that only came up during um, the last couple of weeks on his show prior to the May 31st, 2001 call um, uh, episode, right? So he may have, in his zeal to get someone on, not perhaps done the background check needed because all that really exists is this shadowbeings.com website, right? So that's, that, that's that not went much up to like a on. few weeks before. Yeah, so he and doesn't even know how to check that. She reached out to him via email, and this is how the the interaction started. You know, no one referenced her in, as far as we know. We there's nothing there, right? So that part of me speaks to him not knowing, but then the part of me that knows that he's a showman and maybe would have a a plant in to sort of facilitate the discussion of shadow people instead of having open lines, um, kind of speaks to me. But then again, where does he he find this person? How does he get in contact with them? How does he give him the talking points? So I. 
I'm of two minds. It could or couldn't go. I think um, I'm more so leaning towards his blindness towards the idea of just wanting to talk about it so much and having this person who just falls into his lap being the perfect candidate for a guest spot. The fact that she's an academic and has an, has an email address that's dimension1111 at yahoo.com also seems to not point to somebody who's real. Because I agree. Even just her name, right? Having worked sort of around name. academics for a long time. Well, I mean, her name. A name's a name, right? Like, I mean, but uh, that's what I mean is that you decide to go with Dimension Eleven Eleven at Yahoo.com instead. It's kind of a, a, yeah. a red flag to me. Yeah, like also, that's strangely the thing. enough, this is the first time I heard the term ebook being used like that far back because she was selling an ebook version of um, Shadow Reality. So she coined ebook and Mandela Effect. <laughs> was she a time traveler? Do you think she's a time traveler? So she's the wrong, she's the real John Titor. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, I possibly. like this idea that she just went back in time to screw with people because she knows that shadow beings are are, are fact. This episode of Coast has to been Coast. brought to you by shadow beings. Yeah, it just it's so it just worked out so great. I I feel like this is going to be a hard act to follow. So we're doing this um, we're doing this once a month. So first week of May, we'll be picking a different topic. I get to choose this. I think Angela, I want to do the Chupacabra. Really? And there's a ton of episodes on the Chupacabra, so I'll have to figure out which one I want to do. Okay. Hi, didn't see just like you didn't see me picking shadow people. I did not no. see Chupacabra coming. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one month from now, we'll be talking about the Chupacabra. Angelo, we went through this, uh, you know, mega sized episode, the super sized episode of Double Density. I did not feel bored for any of it. I hope it's the same for. <laughs> I hope you usually don't feel bored when we're recording. No, I don't. I'm just saying, like, it just, I meant more like time flew by. Yes, it does not feel like what we've been. We usually do this for 45 minutes about. It's an hour yeah, and 12 40, minutes 40. of recording yeah. right now. So I'm kind of mad at you. Um, my final note, we talked about your recent purchase. You bought a guitar. You bought strings. You bought... Well, strings I had. I actually... So what I ordered is something I've been meaning to order for a while. I've been trying... Like, so when I reset up my two electrics, I did the setup myself. I didn't bring it into the guitar shop because I looked online, and it's actually not too complicated to do that as long as I don't have to fits around with... Uh, electronics and stuff right that i can't i don't want to touch that but i don't have the measuring tool so i actually finally ordered uh, to to measure uh, action uh, brian mm-hmm. do you know what action is you know what it is but uh, maybe our listeners don't it's the tensile the, strength on the guitar the way that it touches the well body. it's it's the the distance of the string to the frets right yes so i was looking at my guitar i'm like well, that doesn't look right it looks too much too far too wide it's like supposed to be two millimeters but like i can't judge two millimeters it's it yeah my guitar is perfectly a line that's it's it's great so i i check that stuff but it's good to have because honestly every time you change strings when seasons change that stuff moves around so yes, over I, time, I also just restringed my guitar today april 2nd uh after putting it off for like three months so i kind of inspired you because you kind uh, of did yes just to note we may be changing the podcast to a prog rock band yeah, and I mentioned that earlier too. Yeah, so this is just so. your second warning of the episode. So you ordered that, and then what else did you order for your guitar? And nothing. You didn't order any books of any sort. Oh yeah, but I had yeah. I guess I ordered that before I got the guitar. I was planning to, so I ordered that book a few days before I I purchased. Sorry, before I purchased the guitar. Uh, but Listeners, I ordered... guess what? He did not order a copy of House of Leaves to go along with all of his practice and theory books. So he is holding back. An entire episode of Double NC here because of the fact that he decided to order the Shred Guitar collection that he's holding up and pointing in my face instead of ordering House of Leaves, which I want to talk about because it's transcendent. I will order that soon. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Angela, one more time. Where can people find us? DoubleDensity.net. 
fill out the form. Do like Melissa. <laughs> the dang do like form. do like yeah. Nick. Do like click all click the, on the guest fill out host. forms. Yeah, yeah. Click on the guest host link. Check out that Brad Christopher guy. Um, his picture is up there. Uh, I really don't know what happened there. Doublednc.net, uh, as Angela just said. Doubledncpodcast.gmail.com. Doubledncpodcast over on Instagram, and finally double underscore deadsty over on twitter and if people want to leave comments on the forum by all means if you want to leave some reviews on the uh apple store the, the podcast store of uh things it's not a podcast store at all it's just a podcast app no it's, uh, it's then go okay. ahead and do that too my friends yeah we, we want to get your we want to get your stars one star five stars i don't care as long as there's some content in that review tell us what's up what do you think am i a shill for uh the government forces trying to prove that ufos are are not real even though they are <laughs> Am I preventing disclosure? Am I a disinformation agent? All those I things. I love those ideas. I love all of those ideas. So, Angelo, I feel like this is a good time to close out episode 221 of the Double Density Podcast, a supersized episode. Uh, I greatly enjoyed doing this. We'll be doing a couple more of these in the future. Um, some weeks we'll be balancing shorter new segments and then some topics that would go deeper and on. And I want people to tune in next episode as Angela and I continue to search for the shadow pings beyond our peripheral vision hopefully we see some really cool shapes and figures kind of like um you ever see the the movie from beyond maybe okay well just think about that for a while just the from beyond creatures coming out from the brain that's gonna be another dimension uh classic we should probably go watch that for for uh, a different segment anyways that is it angelo i'll see you around see ya Thank you, and uh, good night. Thank you.